uh, I guess, advice for new entrepreneurs that are listening would be to get started yesterday. If you're thinking about the idea and you're like, yeah, well, I'm not entirely sure. And uh, you tell maybe three people like that. That's the idea that's going to end right there with those three people. The, the, the kind of uh, the, the overall guiding principle and entrepreneurship is coming out and being super excited about what what you're excited about telling everybody about it because if you don't nobody else will you're listening to get real with renosi the podcast that helps you turn your idea into a real business sandra england serial entrepreneur and ceo of renosi registration of nonprofit simplified and her son i have way too many ideas jack england Talk to wannabe entrepreneurs delving into their ideas and giving the push needed to get a real business off the ground. Can I jump right in? I just feel like it. I just feel energized. I see your face. Can I jump right in? So I clicked on your the website button. And I was always told the rule, and I have trouble following this myself. You're supposed to know what the business does in five seconds. And I probably looked at it in about five seconds. I have no clue what you do actually that is something a lot of individuals um they kind of tell me as they they get used to clearview geographic and it is something i'm actively trying to fix that we're the guys you call or guys and gals you call when you, you need some tech that um or a tech solution that hasn't really been ironed out yet uh, you know it's possible or that you, you've got some inkling it's possible, but you need you need a creative technology team to, to help you get there. Uh, and then on the other side of it, the like environmental stewardship side of it, environmental science, my, my underlying drive really is to, to help save the earth, preserve as much as we've got. And I use technology to do that. So that's that's kind of the the marriage there. But the the three pillars of the company are GIS, environmental, and IT services. I guess. So give me an example, though, because I'm still now. Maybe it's, it's probably because this is not my field. But let's let let's help you come down to a simple answer. So what would be a solution? Do you have an example of a solution that your company jumped in with some client and and you helped them massively? Yes. So one of them, uh, in particular, more one of our more recent ones that I actually just on Tuesday had a uh, class with FEMA to kind of talk about that particular project. There's in the the FEMA National Flood Insurance Program, uh, there's a particular rating system called the Community Rating System. And basically as a local government entity, so your cities and counties, your your job as the certified floodplain manager of that, that particular organization is to file the right paperwork and pull together the, the right resources, show the maps, show what's going to be impacted and all that by flood zone. Uh, and your flood zones, you know, like X, V, VE, basically different designations of levels of risk and flood. Uh, and all this is, sounds super complicated, but it's, it's the flood maps, FEMA flood maps. And as a certified floodplain manager, your job is to take all of this stuff and come up with things like number of buildings impacted, uh, area of particular parcels, um, uh, what what component of your community is 
open space what what's like naturally uh, naturally functioning as like a normal floodplain uh, what's like a man-made floodplain uh, kind of making the distinctions between all that and particular to where Clearview came in it was more on the like data analytics side and tech creation. So data analytics side, we looked at the parcels, zoning, future land use, who owns what, the, the, of course, the FEMA flood zones, and did an overlay analysis to come up with um, the information for the program data table. And basically, the program data table is one of one of the many, many forms that these certified floodplain managers have to fill out to submit with this this big submittal to to verify that they're actively working in this community rating system segment. And I can go into all of the details. Of all oh, that. my, please don't. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to help you somehow here, Alice, because Clearview's in the name. But, you know, we got to get this yeah. short and simple, but we're going to get her down. We're going to get her down. So, uh, <laughs> but Jack, Jack, do you have an initial question? Should I let you talk, Jack? I mean, you can let me talk. I am here sitting in the background, I promise. <laughs> um, I guess my question just is, so we've got floodplains. We've got a lot yeah. of data that it has to be compiled for something. I'm not really sure what the something we're ending up compiling is. And then it sounds like Clearview found a creative solution to make a simpler process, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was simpler, Jack. Not sure. But okay, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so the, the <laughs> simpler side of it, right, is the, the, the certified floodplain managers, they have a lot of, uh, I guess, expertise on the, the CRS program and kind of what flooding is even, right? But they're, they're just like you and I, we, we're sitting, we're, or you two are sitting there and I'm sitting here. And the, the overall thought is like, man, this is like data and com it's complex. I don't know what the program data, how are you like going through and doing all this analysis and pulling this stuff out? It's like that's that's what we take away from people. But the end goal for the, the CRS connection is making that process of re-verification as easy as possible for the people who are responsible for filling out that paperwork. What is your educational background and how did you get I have three questions all in once. Educational background, how did you get the idea to get this started and when did you actually like leap off of the building and start your own company yes yeah, so education background uh formally my my degrees i went to stetson with jack over there i've got a bachelor's of science in environmental science and geography the i guess career trajectory that got me here is uh, while i was at stetson i was working as a digital cartographer for one of the largest map production agencies in the, in the united states maybe even the world but their their product line is basically like wall maps travel atlases fold maps the print kind of the the old form of mapping and um, wanted to implement more of the environmental science side of my my degree track so i got into civil development and civil engineering but i was i was the environmental guy behind it uh, so i helped with things like wetland delineations protected species relocations that kind of conservation minded stuff it's like okay well um, you've got th things like gopher tortoises or protected sand skinks and th things 
things that as a country we have come out and said we we want to protect things there we want to protect these these sensitive ecosystems these critters the plants the animal all the stuff so my, my job there was to try to ensure that those things were still going to be there despite the human activity and then i guess the the switch to clearview geographic while i was working there i, I created this information system that made uh, made permitting really easy, right? Like we'd a couple clicks of a button, we'd have all of the mapping that we needed, and it was just coming down to environmental interpretation. It, it instead of the biologist going on site, figuring out all the stuff to to go in and report about, the GIS kind of took care of that, and the biologist was focusing more on the interpretation and the consultation side of it. So the Eureka moment was looking at that and saying, man, that like creating that information system, making that process, the system that it was like, that is a business. And that's, that's really when like the light bulb turned on and I'm like, man, I, I need to, I need to like leverage my, my drive to creating like these tech systems or these, uh, these like creative applications of technology and, and try to try to push that in my life rather than just like filling out paperwork and saying, yeah, like there's, there's wetlands and, and that whole thing. So I wanted a little, a little more, I guess, like personal involvement in the work. So after some mulling around, I just kind of, it's like, all right, guys, well, um, you, you know where I want to go in life. Uh, I, I jumped the ship and said, okay, if, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm gonna figure it out. And I definitely didn't have any kind of trust fund. It was all self-funded uh, from the, the very beginning. I, I think, let's just say the times, times get tough uh, in, in startups, but you, you kind of, you've got to figure out what you're, you're good at and leverage that. And even down to like crafting the elevators, the elevator pitch, right? Like, you guys, you, you, you guys looked at the website and you were like, man, I still don't know what they do. That's, that's three years of trying to figure out how to explain what it is that we do. And you're, you're looking at the product of that. And when I first started the company, my, my elevator pitch was going around to, let's say, 50 people and saying, hey, I'm really good at GIS. Maybe one person looked at me and said, okay, cool, dude. Like, what, what do you want? I'm, I'm really good at GIS. Can I help? Like, no, actually, you're not doing anything. The perception of value while the, the underlying mission of helping save the earth and develop creative technology and, and it, like using or leveraging the, the three pillars of GIS, environmental and IT, like all of that stuff was still there from day one. But the way I've I've talked about it over the last three years has definitely evolved. So have you ever done a thing? In fact, I'll send it to you afterwards, Alex. I went on a, a whole, of course, I'm much older than you are, but it was a whole program called Key Person of Influence. But I would say the biggest thing I took out of there was the elevator pitch. It really was, I mean, it's more than the elevator pitch, but I'll send you the outline because it really was very helpful in helping. I, and I got to find out where it's at. And, and that program ended, it was in Tampa, but it really helped me key in on, you know, the five things so you can, you know, get your, the pitch down and, and, and come up with what it is, the, cl the perfect client for Alex, what he wants. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, the the clients I, I've definitely figured out, or I'm, I'm I'm starting to figure out more than I did day one. Are you profitable? Are you profitable? Uh, yeah. And the yeah. elevator pitch that I started out with being said like, "Hey, I'm really good at GIS." That's it was a good elevator pitch for me because that's what I looked at at the time, right? But now <laughs> what, uh, what it's kind of evolved to is Clearview Geographic helps small to mid-sized businesses and organizations improve communications, manage liabilities, and expand their service using data-driven planning, ecological stewardship, and technology development. Uh, so that's, that's a, a mouthful but it communicates kind of that that idea of like we're we're there to help you serve the planet more uh and we use data and technology to to create resources to to help you do your thing but who's your perfect client but who is your and you only get two sentences only two sentences alex who's your favorite who's your who's your best client that that i could send you if i find you so I would say land use planning uh, attorneys. I definitely, I, I want more land use planning attorneys talking to me. And landowners who are trying to develop something on their property without completely and totally tanking the environment. Good. Excellent. Excellent. It gives me a, that's the first time I got a good vision of like, okay, all right. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, gl I'm glad I could provide that. And I'm, I'm glad I could provide a clear view. <laughs> so how how long did it take you? You said you are profitable, which you know you make more than you spend is what I is all I'm defining that as. Um, yep. You can pay your bills, your food, housing. Yep. Clothing we don't need anymore. We always in these boxes, so you know no one needs pants. Um, but uh, so were you profitable the first day out or no. of the box um, or how? I mean, you know. I want to say where. I could breathe a little easier. Uh, it didn't actually start happening for probably about a year and a half to, to two years in. And the, I would say that's, that's a product of kind of learning curves. When I, when I jumped into it, I was like, man, I know everything or not everything there is to know, of course, because that's, that's impossible. But I know that I know a good bit of, of GIS and like, that's, what's going to carry me. Right. But as I jumped into the field and said, "Hey, let's let's um, let's run a company and do GIS work, and uh, we're gonna be really cool," and and that that thing, you know, like when when I started that, the understanding of uh, the kind of like client transaction, uh, what what attracted people to me, why why they pick me over anybody else, like that was a learning curve that took a very long time to figure out. And the only, I guess, advice for new entrepreneurs that are listening would be to get started yesterday. If you're thinking about the idea and you're like, ah, well, I'm not entirely sure. And uh, you tell maybe three people like that. That's the idea that's going to end right there with those three people. The, the, the kind of uh, the, the overall guiding principle and, and, entrepreneurship is coming out and being super excited about what what you're excited about telling everybody about it because if you don't nobody else will uh, so you don't have to so we had our other guest patty wants to start a book okay. wants to start a bookshop and she uh has been thinking about it for a year now okay start okay. starting the bookshop 
And, but she, she's a planner. Okay. So I'm kind of more like you, Alex. I'm, I, when I started my first business, I, I said, Oh, see, I think it's a good idea. And I just started, okay. but she, she's like, I got a plan. So I, I've never run a bookshop. I, I got to learn everything I need to know about running a bookshop before I start a bookshop. And I think you just said the opposite. You just said, no, start your bookshop. Yes. Uh, because without running a bookshop, you will never be able to learn everything or you'll never be able to plan out what it takes to run a bookshop as uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly good at planning things. Like I, I'm, I'm good at foreseeing potential, I guess, hiccups in what Clearview Geographic was at the time three years ago. I had a decent understanding of, or I, I felt like I had a decent understanding of what it was, but a year of like cross-checking plans and uh, trying to to revise what my initial uh, my initial thoughts were, you know, like that that ta that takes interaction in the field and it, like the bookshop. I'm totally speculating here. I'm not a bookshop kind of person, but if if you you spend the the year uh, trying to figure out what it is to take to run a bookshop you still haven't sold a single book and that is that's running a bookshop selling books and uh renting or what, whatever bookshop means to her or him that definition comes out in practice not not on paper but what if you're worried about She's not, she's, it's a her, she's, she's not, she has, she has a safety net. And I think that's the other thing to help other people who are listening. When I started my law firm, which is my first business a long time ago, I must say it was quite scary for my husband at the time because I had, well, Jack wasn't even born yet. He wasn't even a twinkle in the eye yet. And we had bought a house based on two incomes. He's like, you have no clients. There's a little problem here. You have no clients. I just hung out my shingle. I said, yeah, I'll get some clients, you know, I'll be, I'll be. And I did obviously, but it took some time, but I, we were relying on his salary, frankly, to, you know, uh, to, to pay the bills at first and to pay the, to pay the mortgage. So any advice for people out there that are like, yeah, but so jumping off without a parachute off of this building doesn't sound like a very good idea. Yeah. So that's one, one of the, I guess it, to, to put it in terms that you, you used or Maybe not the exact terms, but the, that safety net idea. I felt confident in the little bit of a safety net that I had. I totally thought that I was going to be able to turn it into a parachute or even like a jet plane and fly out of there with the, the resources that I had. Totally <laughs> not the case. Uh, for the, like the first six months, that that little bit that I had that I was like, man, this is, this is all I really need. It's like three months of expenses, whatever, whatever the case may be that that started dwindling you know and it, it's a, a game of like thick skin and determination where like you 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 see the, the the metaphorical light at the end of the tunnel you're like man i'm i'm totally like this is this is the end you know but as you you've got to kind of fight past that that urge to quit and definitely you can't do it alone. In your case, you, you you and your husband were working together. In my case, it was me and my fiance. So having somebody there, whether it be a person, even if it's 
like uh, even if it's Amazon Alexa, like just so, somebody there to talk to, and 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 try to try to make that, that like human element of like man, like that my ship is sinking. I gotta get off here. And, and don't you think it's a big motivator? I think for me, there's two things. One, um, well, I have lots of thoughts on this, but one, I think it's a motivator when you know you have to make it work, and it makes you work harder to yes. to make it work because the, the parachute or the, the safety net or the whatever is only so big. And I think, I think it's a, a motivator. And the second thought I have is we're all afraid. I mean, I think some people look at people who started a business who, who have succeeded then at the business and going, yeah, but they don't have the same anxiety. Yeah. I have. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. We're worried that the phone isn't going to ring. Yep. Uh-huh. But um, that, that, that anxiety uh, I would say starts to go away as you get used to playing in the space. Uh, like it, you, you said, like you're worried about, or well, in, in general, I'd say any business owner is worried about a phone not ringing or emails not coming in. But the the reaction from the person that's that's trying to steer the ship is guided by their experience doing it. So. If, if you're worried that your phone's not going to ring, you've got to spend time and figure out how to make it ring. Or if it doesn't ring, ring it. <laughs> and if, if you always let your like anxiety kind of prevent you from acting in some way, shape, or form, it's always going to do that. And the, that progress of going from, in yours and my case, both, you know, we both didn't have clients to start off with. But if we left it up to the general public, we probably wouldn't have still had clients. And that's that's kind of a fact of the matter. It's um, if, if you're starting from square one, you've got to act like you're starting from square one and not starting at the top of the pyramid. You've got to tell everybody you, you know that you're doing that one particular thing and uh, you're you're doing it different than Joe Schmo over there or Cindy Lou over there. And Cindy Lou Who. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I have opinions on this one too, but what do you think, Alex, of venture capital and crowdfunding and all of that when people use that to get their business started? There's nothing wrong with that, um, but it's it's situational. You've got to see what's important to you and kind of leverage what's available. And if, if venture funding is what's available or outside investors is what's available, the, the, the trade-off there is oftentimes you lose some, some ownership in your, your idea. It doesn't just become your idea because you're not just playing with your money anymore. So in, in my instance, did, did I look at venture capital and, and try to try to, I guess, extend my my runway and increase the the level that I could operate in because I had more resources? Yes, I, I totally did. But what what kind of prevented me from going after that, I would say, is at the time when when I was exploring that, I was like, man, even if I had a million dollars, like what what would I do with it? And if, I, yeah, I had some some form of a plan, like, yeah, I could figure out how to spend a million, but at the end of the day, could I give the guy that gave me the million his money back? Probably not. Um, if somebody gave me a million dollars now, could I turn it around and actually give him some type of ROI? Yeah, sure. 
but the the learning curve for that is like if you start day one no clients no concrete idea of a product no sales no nothing and somebody gives you a million dollars chances are it's it's not going to be as profitable as you thought it was you're probably going to spend half of it just trying to figure out what you're doing yeah see i i'm with you i i think that whole in your point when you said I'd figure out how to spend it. And that's, and I have no research on this, whatever, but I think that that's where people fail actually is when they get, I know it sounds weird, counterintuitive, too much money invested in them because then they're just spending it on, all right, we'll open this fancy office or we'll do this or that because they have the money to do that. And I'm not saying everybody fails, but I, I think there's a danger in having too much money. And I think there's a hunger in not having enough money and just making that phone ring and making it work. I completely agree. Thank you for joining us here today on the second ever episode of Get Real with Renosi. I hope you took something interesting away from our conversation with Alex Zielinski of Clearview Geographic. I know I did. He always opens my eyes to the field of environmental science and protecting our earth. I followed up with Alex after our interview. Uh, I still had some questions about the floodplain project we discussed. I sort of got it, but I wasn't quite sure. And what I walked away with was really an interesting idea of the overlap between what Renosi does and what Clearview does. Um, Renosi, Registration for Nonprofit Organizations Simplified, we make the process of filing government paperwork as easy as possible for our clients. In the case of the floodplain project, Clearview was really doing something similar. It takes a lot of data, it takes a lot of research, field work for city managers to recertify their municipalities based on their floodplains and what Clearview was doing was they were getting all of that data, compiling the research, finishing the packets and drafting them so that city managers can then review the, the floodplain application, um, sign it, and let Clearview go ahead and take it through the filing process. So really, there's a lot of similarity there between what Clearview was doing and making the process of some of this government paperwork for city managers easy and friendly to accomplish. I hope to see you back here for episode three. Thank you for listening to Get Real with Renosi, the podcast that helps you turn your idea into a real business. We hope you took away an idea or two that might help you get started. If you're excited to continue our conversation and get your business off the ground, don't forget to subscribe. We will see you next time on Get Real with Renosi.